focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Lee Ji-young and Yoon Se-young. Guys, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Uh, we're going to start things off with the U.S. midterm elections. Uh, of course, uh, control of the Congress and uh, the future of uh, U.S. President Joe Biden's agenda for the next two years depends on the outcome of this very uh, midterm elections. Uh, so far, the control of the U.S. House and Senate is still up in the air right now. States across the country tallying up their votes. Uh, it's quite a been a neck-and-neck midterm election mm-hmm. race here. Uh, Chiang, first and foremost, can you give us the details about how the race is going on so far? As we said, uh, they are still counting some of the ballots there. Mm, that's right. Um, a lot of political experts are commenting that we haven't seen a full red or blue wave this midterm cycle. And here's where we stand right now. In the Senate, uh, Democrats, uh, Democrats 46 and uh, Republicans 48. And one party needs 51 seats to control the Senate. And for the House of Seats, as you mentioned, 184 Democrats and 207 Republican. And here, a party needs to reach 218 for majority. So none of them have reached that yet so far. Now, in Pennsylvania, Democrat John Fetterman won the open Senate seat, defeating Republican Mehmet Oz, who is endorsed by former President uh, Donald Trump. While Trump's endorsement didn't help Oz, another candidate he backed, Republican J.D. Vance, won the Senate race in Ohio. Now, uh, several other key Senate races, including Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Georgia, are still too close to call. Now, media outlets are refraining from announcing the final results since the races are neck and neck, but they have shared their prediction. Now, um, as and. NBC estimates that the Republicans will win the House with 204 seats, where the Democratic Party would get uh, 187, and a tie in the Senate with each 48 seats. Now, not only NBC, but also other major media outlets like ABC and CNN predict that the Republicans will win with a slight margin. Now, But with Georgia's now Senate race heading to a runoff on December 6th, it may take another few weeks to actually find out which party will control the U.S. Senate. Neither Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock nor Republican challenger Herschel Walker, yes, Herschel Walker, the former football player, player, yes, got 50 percent of the votes. So they will face a runoff election, uh, which was just like in 2021. Uh, where uh, they could have the state of Georgia deciding which party controls the Senate. Now, Republicans believe that voters would focus on their dissatisfaction with the economy and with the U.S. uh, President Joe Biden's policies. But three in 10 voters said that their top issue was abortion rights, just around the same as those who named inflation. Um, Although it's uh, looking like the Republican Party will win the House, which could provide a foothold to contain the Biden administration. But it's uh, since it's not a landslide victory, their political influence 
influence will be uh, somewhat limited. But as for the Democrats, uh, the vibe is that they are proud of the well-fought election despite of the uh, close loss, but we haven't had the, uh, the, the outcome yet. But no. they're looking forward to the final Senate victory because even if the Democrats win only 50 of the seats in the Senate, they can enjoy the majority party power um, thanks to uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris since she can cast any tie-breaking vote. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, what a lot of people had expected was that it was going to be a one-sided victory for the Republicans. Uh, And uh, we were mentioning earlier on that this was going to be either uh, the voters uh, casting their votes on uh, abortion rights, and mm-hmm. then of course on inflation. Uh, what do the voters uh, consider the most important thing at this time? I mean, obviously uh, they all have uh, very fair arguments as to who they want to vote here. Yes, Benny Herschel Walker, the former NFL star, mm-hmm. uh, used to play for the Cowboys. Uh, he was actually a pretty good player back then. Uh, but uh, describing the midterm election result as a good day for democracy, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden uh, said on Wednesday that uh, he plans to decide on re-election bid early next year. Uh, tell us more on this. Uh, the vote ca- counting still continues, but one thing that is sure is the red wave did not happen. And some Republicans or the party supporters even expected a red tsunami in the midterm. But different from what many predicted, Democrats defied that expectations in Tuesday's midterm, as many races uh, now seem very, very close, just like Tiong reported. Well, President Joe Biden on Wednesday praised his fellow Democrats for having a strong night. And now eyes are on whether Biden will seek re-election for another four-year term. And when asked if the election's results affect him when making that decision, uh, President Biden said regardless of the midterm election's results, he intended to run for another four-year term, but he is not in a hurry to make a decision. And Biden also made it clear that the decision, however, will not be affected by the former U.S. President Donald Trump's so-called big announcement. And as to why he says the final decision will be postponed until next year and that it should be discussed further with his family, local media outlets are paying attention to Biden's remarks that were made during 2020 presidential elections. Biden back then called himself a breach to a new generation of leaders while campaigning with then-Senator Kamala Harris in March 2020. And Biden said that there is an entire generation of leaders standing behind him and they are the future of the U.S. And so Some say in consideration of his age, we can't leave out the possibility that Biden decides um, not to run for re-election, but we never know. So we'll have to uh, wait and see. Yeah, even from the uh, the very start, uh, when he was going up against former President Donald Trump, a lot of people were basically questioning Joe Biden and his age and whether or not Mm -hmm. he's going to be able to hold up in the four-year term. And uh, even when he was elected, a lot of people are saying there, there's absolutely no way that Joe Biden is going to run a second term again, mm-hmm. uh, considering his age as well. Uh, so I, I guess right now, for now, it's I mean, it's up in the air right now. But I, to be honest with you, I would be really surprised if actually Biden decides to run a second term here. Uh, what we're also seeing more of is diversity in the political arena. Uh, in the U.S. and in this midterm elections, three Korean Americans, uh, we have mentioned them before, Andy Kim, Marilyn Strickland, and Young Kim. Uh, they've all won their spot in the House, and Michelle Park Steele is uh, also in the lead where uh, vote counting is still underway. Uh, Chiang, let's get more on the uh, 
the, the, the politicians of Korean descent. Uh, sure. Now, uh, Democrat Andy Kim, I'll start with him. Uh, he was reelected this Tuesday to a third term in New Jersey, where actually the majority of the population is Caucasian, 76% in fact. And it has been 26 years since a Korean American was elected to a third term. Now, Andy Kim defeated Republican Bob Healy by a huge margin, winning 54.9% of the votes when 95% have been counted. And it has been the first in uh, 26 years, as I mentioned, uh, with uh, former Congressman Kim Chang-jung, also known as Matthew Kim, in 1996. Now, also, U.S. Congresswoman uh, Marilyn Strickland, who is half black and half Korean, has won her re-election bid as a representative of Washington State's 10th District. Also a Democrat, uh, Strickland, who is also uh, known in Korea with her Korean name as Sunja, was confirmed to be among the winners of the U.S. midterm election, beating her Republican challenger, Keith Swank. Now, the former mayor of Tacoma, Washington, uh, between 2010 and 2017, the 60-year-old politician began her first term at the House of Representatives in January 2021. Now, she drew attention by wearing the traditional Korean hanbok during the inauguration ceremony. Also, we have Republican Representative Young Kim, who won her uh, bid for a second term in office as well against uh, Democrat Asif Mahmoud in uh, California's 40th congressional district. Now, uh, taking a page from the GOP playbook. Kim's campaign has focused on inflation and border security and on abortion, an issue she has consistently voted against. Kim told uh, the Los Angeles Times that she is pro-life, but that she respects the Supreme Court's decision and believes abortion should be largely left to the states. Um, Also in 2020, Kim, fellow California Republican Representative Michelle Steele and Democratic Republican uh, Representative Marilyn Strickland of Washington actually made history as the first Korean American women ever elected to Congress. Now, we have Representative Michelle Steele as well in uh, California. Uh, She is actually uh, the as of the voting count so far, she has 55% of the votes. Um, uh, she is uh, running in at, for the Southern California district that uh, pretty much leans uh, Democratic. Yeah. Um, and uh, she is a Republican uh, uh, going against uh, Jay Chen, who is the Democratic um, uh, candidate with 45%. Now, he is a also a Navy uh, reservist who is of Taiwanese descent. Yeah, a lot of very interesting uh, names and all these names, of course, uh, that we mentioned on the show prior when uh, Joseph Jun, who's a director uh, for the uh, the documentary Chosen, mm-hmm. uh, of course, he covered uh, names like Andy Kim, Young Kim was also, uh, I believe, mentioned as well. Uh, but yeah, it is getting more diverse. And we also talked about on our show, uh, Francesca Hong, who was uh, on our interview. Uh, she also won her seat over in uh, Wisconsin in the, uh, the 76th district. But she ran unopposed. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty good victory for her. Uh, guys, let's move on here to other news. Uh, we're actually going to talk more about the U.S. midterm elections later in the program in the second hour of the show, as we're going to be connecting with uh, Professor Robert Kelly, 
uh, to talk about the results, his analysis, and the outcome uh, of the midterm elections there. Uh, while the nationwide grief, of course, uh, continues here in South Korea over the Itaewon crowd crush, uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol is, of course, uh, set to depart on the six-day trip to Southeast Asia this starting tomorrow, November 11th, uh, to attend ASEAN-related meetings and the G20 summit as well. Uh, in this regard, President Yoon said it was inevitable to attend the meeting to firmly support domestic companies' economic activities. Uh, we do know that he is going to kind of uh, his administration and his office at the top office is kind of moving around his schedule uh, because of the situation here in South Korea. But still, let's talk more about uh, the president's trip to Southeast Asia and its itinerary. Sure. Uh, president Yoon's six-day trip to Southeast Asia will kick off tomorrow, and he is first set to visit Phnom Penh, Cambodia, to attend regional summits involving the ASEAN. Then Yoon will head to Bali, Indonesia, for a G20 summit. Like you said, SJ, uh, when answering the questions from the reporters on his way to work at the office Thursday, President Yoon said his aides and himself thought hard about whether he should attend this diplomatic events when the nation is still struggling with shock and deep sorrow over what happened in Itaewon. Uh, but he said he decided to go ahead with the initial plan due to the importance of these events that are uh, related to people's economic activities and interests. This is because 50% of the world's cargo passes through ASEAN region, and tens of thousands of South Korean companies are investing and competing in that region now. And regarding the schedule of the summit, Yun explained uh, there are several important bilateral talks to be held during his trip. According to Yun, a trilateral meeting between Seoul, Washington, in Tokyo has been fixed, and several other bilateral talks have been confirmed or are under discussion. Now, on a related note here, the White House also confirming that South Korea-U.S.-Japan trilateral meeting will take place at the ASEAN summit over at Phnom Penh on November 13th. Of course, uh, North Korean nuclear issue highly likely to top the agenda for the talks there. So, Sam, let's also get more on that. Mm. A White House official said President Biden will meet with his South Korean and Japanese counterparts in Cambodia on the 13th of November during his upcoming trip to Asia. They're expected to discuss countermeasures against North Korea's unlawful weapons of mass destruction and blasting missile programs that threaten regional stability and peace. Uh, though North Korea still launched a short range blasting missile into the EC Wednesday. Different from the speculations both in South Korea and the U.S., North Korea did not conduct its seventh nuclear test ahead of or during the U.S. midterm elections. Uh, though experts say the North is completely ready and it can go ahead with another nuclear test whenever it wants to do so. Some warn, we, talk, we briefly talked about this uh, on Tuesday, some warn that when world leaders gather at G20, that could be the time for North's nuclear test. But diplomatic observers say that considering the backfire and the predictable consequences of crossing the nuclear threshold, there is no need for Pyongyang to rush. However, still, the tensions in the Korean Peninsula continues to rise and the immediate dialogue either between the South and the North or the North and the U.S. is highly unlikely, especially when there is no trust between them. It seems very hard to break through current situation, and for that reason, discussions among leaders on North Korea issues are really important at this point, and uh, we will have to wait and see what solutions to North Korea issues they will come up with. In the meantime, regarding the bilateral talks between Yoon and Biden, a senior presidential official said on Wednesday that the one-on-one -on -one meeting between the two 
too is currently under discussion. Yeah, uh, the lack of trust, that's the big thing. And also right. lack of discussion is the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, wow, uh, for several years now, uh, we've been talking about the, the Washington continuously saying uh, we're willing to talk to Pyongyang under no preconditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Korea continuing to say that uh, they're open for talks with North Korea. Right. But the fact is, the most important part of the party there uh, basically saying, nope, we're not going to t- you know hold any kind of discussions. And mm-hmm. we mentioned trust. Uh, we talked about before, how come the United States just can't get give sanctions relief uh, to North Korea in exchange for denuclearization first, just give the sanctions first, uh, sanctions relief first, and then if they do, of course, abide by the agreements, uh, then maybe just, you know, completely take everything out. But uh, again, it's because the U.S. does not trust North Korea. Right. Uh, and uh, we've even seen that the, the 2018 military agreement that we have between Seoul and uh, Pyongyang it's non-existent right now mm-hmm. uh, with all the provocations that we're seeing. Uh, also, Jiang uh, the South Korean military seeking to create a headquarter, uh, headquarters um, to respond to uh, nuclear arms and uh, weapons of mass destruction. They have also proposed a bill to get the ball rolling for creating a special headquarters to uh, better counter evolving military threats from North Korea. Let's talk a little bit more about this bill. What's this about? Uh, Sure. Now, the bill calls for the reorganization and expansion of the center center under the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, into a larger uh, directorate-level body. Now, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff has recommended the plan as part of efforts to determine better deter and respond to various threats, including those from North Korea. Now, the nuclear and um, uh, mass destruction, uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction response headquarters is expected to become the foundation for actually establishing a new command, uh, which is uh, called the Strategic Command uh, by 2024. Now, this was one of President Yoon Sung Yeol's pledges during his campaign. Now, the Strategic Command is an organization that oversees the Korean version of the three axis system. Now, the three axis system refers to the South Korean military's response plan to intercept and destroy North Korea's nuclear weapons and missiles and destroy key facilities uh, such as its command. And it includes the kill chain, the Korea air and missile defense, and the Korea massive punishment and retaliation plan. Now, after the ministry gathers opinions from uh, related ministries and agencies, the completed proposal will be reviewed by the cabinet to uh, implement outlined changes by uh, January of next year. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, to be honest with you, all of this right now, the creation of these headquarters, uh, mm-hmm. to me, it shows that the uh, the current UN administration, I mean, they know that there's going to be no dialogue, right, mm-hmm. with the North. And so what better, what's the best, uh, next best option for them? Well, some kind of deterrence, uh, because even though, uh, you know, President Yoon Sagir had come up with uh, the, the so-called audacious initiative, uh, North Korea just straight up came out and said, nope, we're not interested. Uh, and uh, they've made it clear that they don't like President Yoon uh, neither. In fact, they didn't even use the, the title president mm-hmm. uh, to describe uh, Yoon Sagir. Uh, but yeah, there's going to be no discussion, at least under this current administration. Next best step, of course, deterrence. We know that uh, in 
who knows when it's going to happen, but uh, we know that North Korea right now, currently they are in preparations for their seventh nuclear test. Mm -hmm. When is it going to happen? The other big question is if and when North Korea conducts the seventh nuclear test, how will the United States and South Korea and even Japan respond to that? Uh, we might see some things that we've never saw before in the prior six nuclear uh, tests by North Korea. Uh, guys, let's move on here to talk about the economy this time. Mm -hmm. Inflation has been pushing prices higher, I'm sure. And I've, I don't know if you guys have seen all these protests that are happening over in Europe and like, uh, what is it, France, Spain, mm -hmm. uh, recently in Greece. They're basically saying inflation so high, you need to raise our wages and so forth. Uh, not a whole lot of that happening here, but uh, we are seeing still not very not, not so happy with the consumer prices. We had uh, data released on Thursday, uh, prices of popular ingredients on the shopping list, for example, flour, cheese, tubu, and mm -hmm. uh, chicken soaring more than 20% year over year. Sam, let's get the data here. How are you guys surviving with the soaring prices? Uh, basically, two other things that I've only been eating is here, uh, chicken and tubu. That's, that's <laughs> are you on diet? I'm, I'm working true? out a lot these days, and wow. I'm trying to get as much protein as possible. So I'm Ooh. not happy with this 20% year-over-year <laughs> increase in the prices there. All right. Um, not only the prices of major food items, but also the prices of daily necessities, uh, such as detergents and shampoo, have also sharply risen. For example, the price of toilet paper jumped over 55% from a year ago. And for detergent, shampoo, and toothpaste, the prices rose over 23%, 20%, and 10% respectively. And as you mentioned, SJ, the price of some of the items that are on almost everyone's basic grocery list in South Korea, such as tubu, tofu, rose over 20%, while that of flour surged 37.7% from a year ago. Uh, bad news for meat lovers, meat prices has gone up sharply as well. For example, a one kilogram fresh whole chicken costs a little over um, 9,501 now, and this is up 30.1% from a year ago. And prices of beef and pork also climbed at 15.9% and 11.7% respectively. And the prices of uh, vegetables and seafood has soared most drastically. Prices of squid rose 110.6% and 96.6% for radishes, 60.4% for carrots. In addition to that, the price of milk product is expected to go up again next week. And this will lead to higher prices of bread, uh, bread ice cream and coffee. Uh, which use milk as ingredients, which is expected to deepen the anxiety of ordinary people. Some even say we are expecting milkflation, like as a joke, they say. No, well, actually, no, the, 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 actually, the term milkflation has uh -huh. been mentioned quite a bit. And in right. fact, in our program during Korea in Numbers, our, Wednesday, mm -hmm. uh, our Monday segment, we actually did cover milkflation. milkflation. Yeah. yeah, we're expecting that again. And along with the food prices, you also have uh, to keep an eye on the fuel prices. The prices of Lamp oil jumped almost 40%, uh, 38.3% um, more exactly. And CD gas and light oil diesel rose 15.6%. And the gasoline price fell 8.4% with fuel tax cuts, though. 
Yeah, you know what's ridiculous is like flowers is supposed to be like one of the cheapest things to buy, right? right? Mm-hmm. And you know you could do all sorts of things with flour. You can make bread, you can make uh, you know noodles and things like that. But thirty-seven uh, percent. You know what they say is uh, uh, in order to kind of ca- judge how bad the inflation is, they say look at the price of bread. Like bread mm-hmm. is kind of like uh, the core, mm-hmm. I guess, barometer of uh, inflation. And bread is very expensive these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they- I heard you talked about the. Bagel prices, prices of bagel no, 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 in New York. No, no, no. no. The bagel like prices the don't change. Uh, uh-huh. The other barometer in New York is because you know New York has really good bagel, uh, <laughs> but uh, not the price of the bagel. The price mm-hmm. of the bagel remains the same, but, but the uh, size of the bagel. size of the bagel yeah, basically changes. Smaller. So when the inflation mm-hmm. is really high, the bagel is smaller. If there's no inflation, uh, high consumer prices, it's you know it's bigger and things like that. And they say the same thing with donuts as well, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of donuts anyways. Uh, but like I mentioned, though, uh, this is not something that we're only seeing here in Korea because Benny is saying inflation is hitting us. Paulina over in the UK saying SJ this morning in the UK news say that news is saying that now buying milk, it's a luxury. It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. This rising consumer prices, it's happening all over the world. Right. Uh, due to the war in Ukraine, the global grain prices has gone up sharply and commodities and labor costs have soared as well. And the problem is developing and emerging economies are being hit hardest because they heavily rely on grain imports from this reason. And many also worry that uh, if the worried that if the war continued until winter season, it would cause a serious energy shortage problems and it is actually happening right now. And recently, UN Food and Agriculture Organization has released the data that show uh, that the global average food prices index soared to 125.7 last year from less than 100 in 2020, and it continues to rise this year. Uh, In case of South Korea, the weakening one is also one of the reasons that caused food price inflation because uh, the import prices became much higher. And what's concerning is, again, the fact that the soaring food prices and energy inflation heavily affect low-income families. They tend to spend much more on food and energy than richer uh, families. And for that reason, increasing food and energy prices usually hit families already struggling to get by. Yeah, again, so you know, we, we say this as a joke, but it's true. Everything mm-hmm. is going up but our pay and our salaries. Yes. And uh, that's exactly what uh, people all over uh, Europe is actually protesting right now. Mm-hmm. There's a number of countries. Greece recently had a, ma- a massive uh, protest. Spain had one last week. Uh, Belgium, France, the UK, uh, Germany. And they're all the people that are basically protesting are just workers. They're saying, listen, inflation is getting ridiculous and all mm-hmm. the things that we're buying, we can't afford it anymore. And the only thing that remains the same is our pay. Mm-hmm. And so you need to either do something about the inflation mm-hmm. or give us more money. But, you know, raising wages and stuff like that, it can actually contribute to uh, inflation as well. Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, let's talk more numbers. Any of you guys do cryptocurrency? Jiang, you do cryptocurrency? Uh, no. Smart. I, thank God. Thank God. No time for uh, that when you have a two-year-old kid. No time. Uh, it's more like no money no now. Money. No, no, money. Uh, no money now because uh, what happened to my SJ's cryptocurrency? Mm. Uh, let's say, let's just say I went up. I went from going up about two thousand percent to now being minus like eighty percent right now, mm. uh, and it might be actually even less than that after what happened to today earlier today. Um, it, 
anyone seen the cryptocurrency exchange market, the, your wallets, uh, it, it wrecked havoc. It's really mm. bad. It's, it's really, really bad. Mm. Uh, it's because there was supposed to be a deal between the two largest crypto exchanges. Uh, FTX, one of the biggest exchanges out there, uh, they're going through some issues. Binance decided initially that they were going to buy them out, mm -hmm. basically a rescue plan here. Uh, but last minute, Binance basically said, you know what, um, we're, we're not going to buy uh, FTX anymore because there's some red flags. Uh, mm -hmm. There are certain things that have stood out. We're not gonna buy out. And as soon as that news came out, Boom, cryptocurrency all went down. Uh, Bitcoin, of course, massive losses. I believe Sol uh, Solana saw the biggest losses as well. Jiang, mm -hmm. let's, uh, the, the smart one uh, of the two here, me and you, uh, that <laughs> not into cryptocurrency. Well, what would have exactly happened here? Uh, well, yeah, according to Binance, uh, they said that uh, reports of mishandled customer funds and alleged US agency investigation that had swayed their decision. And FTX had been struggling with the surge in withdrawals that caused a liquidity crunch. And concerns about FTX's financial health reportedly triggered $6 billion of withdrawals in just three days. Now, FTX, which from the outside looks like a pretty big crater, but when Binance took a look at it, uh, decided they decided it was just a hole just too big to fill with too much radioactive regulatory scrutiny around it, which uh, looks like a pretty big headache to deal with. So unfortunately, uh, it looks right now that FTX might be heading to a bankruptcy process. Uh, unfortunately, another black eye in the industry. And it's going to be a really tough time for the consumers and, and the clients of that exchange. Uh, also, as you mentioned, Bitcoin dropped below $16,000 after Binance pulled out of the deal before regaining, regaining some ground while shares in cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase fell by more than 9.5%. Now, there is a growing list of cryptocurrency businesses that have failed because of uh, lack of cash reserves. And adding to the pressure, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, and other uh, regulators have been uh, ratcheting up scrutiny of the industry as concerns are growing more and more about how crypto platforms are trading at the moment. So uh, the future of cryptocurrency at the moment just does not look so bright. Yeah, uh, even uh, some of my friends uh, who now full-time, all they do is uh, trade cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to one of them uh, over the weekend, and he's like, I'm going to be honest with you, it's never going to be the same way ever again. Uh, the, the boom, the height of the cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. uh, people just don't have the same amount of money. Uh, people are uh, very bearish of the current uh, cryptocurrency market as well. And this is terrible because I remember with Bitcoin, a lot of people are saying Bitcoin is going to hit $100,000. And mm -hmm. so like a lot of even Koreans, they bought in at around like, uh, something like 60,000 or something like that, 60,000 mm. uh, when it was at the peak. And they say, well, if it hits 100,000, it will make 40,000. Nope, uh, it never. Now it's uh, below 16,000. That is mm. terrible stuff here. As yeah. I always say, if you're going to trade, 
trade like I do with minimal money. Because mm -hmm. even if you lose a lot, it doesn't... Extra money that's lying around. <laughs> yeah, extra well, a lot of people don't have that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not a lot of money I'm losing, guys. I just want to put it out there. I make it sound like I'm losing millions here. Uh, in the meantime, the South Korean government has announced that it will lift uh, real estate rules for all areas except for Seoul and four cities in Gyeonggi-do province. Uh, Seong, real estate always a big issue here. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about this. The South Korean government will lift the real estate regulations that that were in place to prevent speculative transactions for all areas except for Seoul, Seongnam, including Pundang, Sujong, Gwacheon, Hanam, and Gwangmyeong of Gyeonggi-do province. The government announced a new measure at a meeting with related ministers on Thursday, a day after the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, and Transport deliberated the regions designated as overheated speculative zones, which require stricter regulations. And these regions include Suwon, Anyang, Gihung, and a new measure will take effect next Monday. The Land Ministry has lifted the regulations for all provinces except for Sejong on September 21st, but with higher interest rates, getting a mortgage has been more expensive, and as a result, the apartment prices have fallen for month and month. And to prevent the huge declines, Gyeonggi-do province have requested deregulation for more areas, uh, additional areas, and Thursday's decision came just in 51 days following the announcement made in September. And uh, in an effort to boost the market, South Korean government will also ease regulations on loan-to-value or LTV. And so, uh, as a result, for people who own just one home or are trying to buy their first, they will be able to borrow up to 50% of the assessed value of the home, even in speculative areas. Yeah, my wife was, you know, because I bought a house uh, mm, last Anyang. year, and yes, Anyang, so that's considered overheated speculative. No, but <laughs> she was, because we, we received 50%, uh -huh. right, uh, loan and uh, basically she was like, oh, you know, did you know that they're easing the real estate uh, measures? And so like we could probably even get like 70 percent, 80 percent. I was like, yeah, good luck paying off 70, 80 yeah. percent with the current mm -hmm. uh, interest, rates. interest rate. So mm -hmm. even if they do ease the measures, it's not like people are going to go buying this because right. they're, they're afraid of the interest rate right now. So mm. I'm not sure how uh, how much of this is going to impact uh, right. the real estate prices. Uh, also, over the next decade, South Korea aiming to transition into a hydrogen economy. Plans including uh, include having some 30,000 green vehicles powered by the energy source uh, hitting the roads in the next decade, as well as increasing production, distribution channels, and technological capacity, meaning they just need more charging station, as I've always been saying. Mm -hmm. Jen, let's get the details of this. Sure. Now, the global carb carbon neutrality trend is intensifying competition to develop hydrogen as the new clean energy. And South Korea on Wednesday joined some 40 countries that outlined strategies to boost the hydrogen economy, which is gaining more significance in the wake of energy supply disruptions caused by, of course, the Ukraine war. Now, as the first step for the transition, the government will boost domestic demand for hydrogen, starting with the mobility industry. Uh, right now, there are only around 200 commercialized hydrogen vehicles on the roads in South Korea, and all the current hydrogen charging stations are mostly for compressed gas. But by 2030, the government aims to have 30,000 hydrogen cars in the country and 70 charging stations that store liquid hydrogen 
hydrogen, which compared to gas is safer and can be stored in larger quantities. Quantities, however, there are people、uh, saying that 70 stations <laughs> are just not enough. I yes, heard, I saw a nod here in the、uh-huh. station. So it will also, but into going back to the government's efforts,、uh, they said that they will install more energy super stations where traditional gas, electricity, And hydrogen can be recharged at one spot. And by 2036, hydrogen is expected to take up 7.1% of the nation's energy development. And all of this is expected to have an economic effect of some 35 billion US dollars. And also create 100,000 jobs and reduce 28 million tons of greenhouse emissions by 2030. Now, for the expected rise in demand, the government will ramp up production using nuclear power,、uh, install a large scale liquid hydrogen plant, and expand distribution channels. Now, it will also scrap some regulation, regulations and increase subsidies with the aim of nurturing 600 hydrogen. Related firms at home by 2030. Yeah, I mean, the reason why we're seeing more and more electric vehicles on the roads is because now there are just more charging stations.、Mm-hmm. All the apartments, at least the major complexes,、mm-hmm. not, you know, not, not like my apartment complex where it has no charging stations because it's too small.、Uh, and now you're required to have it. Arirang, right now, I don't know if you guys、right. saw the parking lot. The Two、first. or three、yeah. we have. Oh, dude, there's more now. They're more actually more? storing four more right wow, now wow. In, a, in a space where I used to park. Now I can't park there anymore because I can't. I don't <laughs> have an electric.、True. Vehicle, but it's the charging stations, right? With the、mm-hmm. hydrogen cars, great stuff. But if you're going to talk about 70 charging stations nationwide, that's too little.、Yeah. Uh, and also, price is going to be the other、right. big thing because, as much as I would probably want to buy electric vehicles now, but、uh, it's just too expensive.、Yes. Uh, Jasmine Pang very,、uh, very quickly says, I got 90% housing loan, but that was in 2006. Korea had that too. It was like、mm-hmm. 90, all you had to have is like 10%, and it wasn't like that expensive. And those are the people who are just making a lot of money after selling their real estate. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you very much for coming in today with your reports. Please stay safe, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.